Jesus, we come before you completely dependent upon your spirit, completely open to what you would tell us. Lord, if you would bring correction into our lives, we would accept it, God, because we love you and because we need you. And Lord, we, we don't pridefully come in here and say that we understand everything and we got everything under control, but God, we have a great need for you and you have a great grace available for us. God, we trust that. And Lord, for all the things going on in people's lives and, and all the things we, we heard about in our prayer meeting and this morning and last night, the, just the trials that are happening, um, Jesus, we place them in your hands because we know that there's no better hands to place them in, that the, the scars in your hands prove that you love us and that you have a good plan for us and that you are going to hold us and keep us standing when we feel like we're going to fall. Jesus, we keep our eyes only on you. Uh, we trust only in you, Jesus. And we believe that you have a wonderful, wonderful plan uh, for this study today, for our anchor groups this week, and as we discuss uh, this topic that we're going to talk about right now. And Lord, we, we pray for those anchor group leaders. Lord, they're so, so ready and, and so excited, but I, I bet they're pretty nervous too. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would fill them with boldness, God, that you would encourage them. And, Lord, with the people that come, that you will for, to come, Lord, I pray that it would, um, it would be powerful for them. And, Lord, we, we just ask, Lord, that you would use our church, uh, use, use your word, and, and not us, Lord God. Just let the glory be on you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Today's Bible study is called, I Am Not Left-Handed. So, just think on that, kind of let your mind wander on that, and, and we'll get started. But we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. But first, I'm going to read to you 1 Peter 5.8. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The devil is real, and he hates you. The devil is real, and he hates you. I heard a person last week say that they didn't believe in the devil, and inside I thought, well, that's strange. Who then is causing all these problems in the world and around my life? And uh, Barna does these surveys. They call, they, they kind of call around the country, and they always do these Bible and Christian-based surveys. This was an interesting, interesting one. It says, the majority of self-proclaimed American Christians do not believe that Satan is real. Nearly six out of ten Christians either strongly agreed or somewhat agreed that, with this statement about Satan, that he is not a living being, but he's a symbol of evil. That's just, that's bizarre. 40% strongly agreed with the statement, while 19% somewhat agreed. In contrast, 35% of American Christians believe Satan is real, and 26% strongly disagreed with the statement that Satan is merely symbolic, and about one-tenth somewhat disagreed. And then the remaining 8% of Christians responded that they were unsure of what to believe about the existence of Satan. Well, I believe Satan is real, the Bible says he's real, and the real problem with that is that Jesus said he was real. And as a Christian, we're supposed to follow who? 
Jesus, he's kind of the man around here. We kind of bear his name as Christians, followers of the Christ, Jesus. And the problem is Jesus says that Satan is real. This is a huge issue if people don't believe Jesus. In fact, there was a really popular Christian artist this week that's in some, some major trouble because he said, well, maybe Jesus was wrong about Adam and Eve and Noah and the flood. Maybe Jesus was wrong? Are you kidding me? And the problem is that he doesn't, he's saying, well, those events are highly improbable. Well, I bet Jesus thought they were improbable too. But the next event in Jesus' life was quite improbable as well, rising from the dead. Not a common thing, but the entire Christian faith is based on an improbable event. So all the improbable events of the past, no problem at all. If we think Jesus rose from the dead, it's no problem to think that God created the whole world or that he caused a flood or all the other things. But it's really sad what we're seeing with people not believing the word of God. It's faithful. It's, it's true. You know, Jesus talks about Satan. He talks about Adam and Eve and Noah and the flood like he saw it. Because he did. He declares that they were all real. He talked to Satan. He talked about hell or Satan's future home more than he actually talked about heaven. If you look at it in the Bible, Jesus talks more about hell than he does about heaven. Just remarkable. He said in John 8:44, "You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it." So, if you want to believe Jesus was wrong about Satan and the flood and Adam and Eve and Noah, you're calling him the devil and a liar, which is not a very comfortable place to be if you're in church or if you're trusting Jesus to save you. Why would you call him the devil? You don't want to do that. So we look back at that verse that I read at the beginning, 1 Peter 5.8, which says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, he walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may desire. This is the devil's desire, is to kill. In March of 1898, the British started building a bridge, uh, a railway bridge, over the Savo River in Kenya. This project was led by Lieutenant Colonel John Henry Patterson. During the next nine months of construction, two maneless male lions stalked the campsite, dragging Indian workers from their tents at night and devouring them. Crews tried to scare off the lions, and they built campfires and, and thorn fences around the camp for protection against these man-eating lions. But to no avail, the lions leapt over and crawled through the thorn fences, and after some new attacks, hundreds of workers fled from Savo, halting the construction of the bridge. Patterson set traps and tried several times to ambush the lions at night from a tree. After repeated unsuccessful endeavors, he shot the first lion on December 9th of 1898. 20 days later, the second lion was found and killed. The first lion measured nine feet, uh, eight inches from nose to the tip of the tail. 
and it took eight men to carry the carcass back to camp. The construction crews um, returned and completed the bridge in 1899. The exact number of people killed by these two lions is unclear. Patterson gave several figures overall claiming that there were 135 victims. Wow. Then if that story sounds familiar to you, there was actually a movie made about it called The Ghost in the Darkness with Val Kilmer. You guys, I don't know if you've seen it. I haven't seen it, but it's a movie that they made. And there's actually been four other movies made about this exact same story. It was a crazy story. Well, imagine how that story would have been different if the people who were building the bridge were equipped with armor. I'm just talking armor, like, you know, the big, thick, plate steel armor that bullets bounce off of. And maybe under that armor, some chain mail. You know, the kind those idiot shark divers wear to keep them safe from the shark bites? And maybe to top all that with a sword. And if I was there, I would have given my sword a name, like the, the Simba Splitter or the Scar Smacker, the Mufasa Mauler or the Lion King Killer. Well, Satan, you know, Satan is, is attacking us. We are in war. We are in that camp, and people are being dragged from our left and from our right, and we need the equipment to stand in this war. So let's go to our text in Ephesians chapter 6 and find out what our commanding officer in this war wants us to learn about what he's giving us, what we need to have for this warfare that we are involved in. So look at verse 10 and 11 of chapter 6 in Ephesians. He says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We studied that verse last week. Now verse 11, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Paul tells us that we need resources. We are in need of something that God can give. We need something to put on, something to cover up our weakness. We need to put on the whole armor of God, he says. The whole armor, not just part of the armor. Don't you, don't, or don't think that you have some of your life under control, that you need church for 80% of your life, or you need church for 90%. God wants us to put on the whole armor of God. He wants us to be completely dependent on him. We are completely fallen like every other man, and we have no spiritual abilities other than trusting in Jesus. It's the only spiritual ability we have, humbly trusting in him in faith. And with that, in that ability, we have access to a full set of equipment with nothing lacking. Satan cannot figure out how to beat it. So he has to try to convince us not to put it on. And we're going to find out a little bit more about that later. God takes such good care of us, such good care of us, to provide such specific and total protection as we're going to learn about in this armor of God. He provides everything that we need. But we have to we have to kind of throw ourselves on him. We have to kind of fully depend on him. Then we'll be able to stand. We'll be able to stand. We can't stand without it. We have seen people fall. How many people have you seen fall away 
from the faith, fall when an attack comes in their life. How many Indians have been dragged from the tents right next to us? And now maybe they're dead, spiritually or even physically. This is life and death, and Satan wants you dead. Not hurt, not maimed, dead, with no life left inside you. And if we ignore this armor or attempt to live our lives in our own strength and own power, or if we try to fight the devil in our own armor or pretend he doesn't exist, then we will die spiritually too. We are no match for his attacks. He's too smart. He has wiles. I don't even know what that is, but he has them. He has cunning. Well, so I had to look it up because I didn't know what wiles meant. So it means cunning arts, deceit, craft, and trickery. And of course, you think of Wiley Coyote because he was awesome. He always had a plan. And Satan is just like Wiley Coyote. He has an unlimited credit card at the Acme store of evil spiritual attacks. And so in verse 12, it says that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. We are not entering into spiritual warfare. We're already in it. We're already in the foxholes and in the bunkers with flaming arrows whizzing by us whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not. Not many people win a fight that they didn't know they were fighting. Do you think that your husband or your wife is just a jerk all the time for no reason? Do you think the conflict in your marriage is because you guys aren't compatible or just because you're selfish? No, it's spiritual attacks. Do you think your enemies in this world hate you because you're ugly or because of your personality? No, it's spiritual attacks. Do you think that people offer you temptations because you're cool? No, sorry to burst your bubble. It's because the enemy prompts them. My friends, this is spiritual attacks. Our marriages are under attack. The devil can make your flesh hurt and feel disrespected. He can put thoughts in your mind. Selfish desires rise up in your heart. Temptations placed before you. He can cause people to treat you poorly, to even hate you. We have to realize that it's not our friends and our family that are the enemy. It's not our coworkers. None of them are our enemies. We have one enemy, and we are at war with him, and we have to know who that one real enemy is, the devil, the spiritual attacks. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3, I'll read it to you in the New Living Translation. He says, we are human, but we do not wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons not worldly weapons, to knock down strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. 
We're going to learn in depth what these mighty weapons are in the coming weeks as we study the armor of the Lord. But right now we're focused on what the spiritual context of this battle is. It's a battle for souls. For people, as we learned in this verse, to know and obey Christ. That's what this battle is. And there's this whole army of forces that are, battle, that are gathered against us on this mission. Satan is the king of this army, but it's well organized and equipped to fight us in this battle for souls. It, it describes in our verse here in, in Ephesians 6 that there's principalities and powers, rulers of darkness in this present age, spiritual hosts of wickedness and heavenly places. And so let's look at what a couple of those things are. Principalities. Principalities means there's, there's some sort of hierarchy in the demonic army where there are literal demons in control of regional areas of the world. And we see this played out in the book of Daniel. Daniel prayed, and a few weeks go by, I think it was three weeks go by, he prayed and asked God for an answer. And an angel shows up to him three weeks later, and he said, Daniel, I'm here with the answer to your prayer. And Daniel's like, what took so long? <laughs> and the angel's like, dude, I was dispatched right when you prayed, like the moment you prayed. But as I was on here, on my way here, the prince of Persia, he, he stopped me and he fought with me. And it wasn't until I think it was Michael, the archangel, came and helped me that I was able to get here and, and you were able to see this, this spiritual victory now come into your life. And so it's crazy that there's these principalities and we see it in the world today. There's areas of the earth, the world today, that just have an overwhelming sense of darkness. I know when I was in Thailand, I just felt like there was an incredible amount of darkness there. I walked down the street and I saw a guy possessed. And he looked at me and he was a homeless Thai guy and he spoke to me in perfect English that he hated me. And I was like 18 and scared to death. <laughs> I had no idea what to do. But I felt this darkness there. And in different areas of the world, it's totally, it's, it's different. And it's interesting that that area that Daniel had trouble with is the exact area of Iraq today that they're having some troubles today. It's just interesting. So you have these principalities that Paul says is against us. There's principalities. Then he says there's powers. There's powers. These represent let me go back to principalities real quick because I, I left out a verse that I meant to share with you guys and I, I feel like it's important. Romans 8.38 tells us that principalities cannot keep us from God's love. Therefore, there's a limit to their power. They, don't just, they aren't just the emperors of their kingdom. There is a limit to their power. It's a spiritual influence type of power. Now let's go to the powers. These demonic areas of control in people's lives. Alcohol, drugs, pornography are common footholds of power that the enemy exercises over weak and unequipped Christians. Weak believers who do not have their armor equipped. They, they're so subject to these powers. And they want to break free. They want to be free. from, But this enemy is just holding them down. Well, Jesus came across this a lot in his ministry, in his life, didn't he? I bet you can think back to many times where 
people who were demon-possessed or people who had different infirmities would come to Jesus and they would say, can you make us free? Can you? And he would go in and he would heal them. And he would say, stand up straight and be healed. And he would say, because your faith, you're healed. And we're going to see this again at the end of the study. These powers are now broken. But they are real. There are real powers. There's a great ministry I've heard of called the One Step Ministry. And it's an, a drug and alcoholic recovery ministry. I love that name. Because there's the 12-step program that's out there, right? It's out there. But for Jesus, it's so different. For us, there's such power in saying there's one step. It's just trusting Jesus. Falling upon him and saying, Jesus, help me. And I believe in you. And I'm going to trust you. And that one step brings such freedom to people's life. It's amazing. So you, then it goes on to talk about rulers and spiritual hosts. You know, there's all these other divisions. These are all the rest. I picture, I picture all the armies and orcs and, and in the Lord of the Rings, you know, how they march up and, and they have all their, they're in their blocks of thousands and t- tens of thousands. And I just picture them all. They're all in order and they're all hateful. They're all gross and smelly and ugly. And that's our enemy, you know. I just picture that spiritually. And so we get to verse 13, and he says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Again, he repeats it. And he says that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. To stand. See, we are not in a war of attacking the devil. There's a lot of misunderstanding about this in the church and in Christianity. You hear preachers up there, let's go to war against Satan. That is not what the Bible describes. The Bible says we are on a mission of living for God and loving people in his name, serving people. And Satan, he is attacking us in that mission. We don't want to get distracted fighting the little attacks. We just want to, he says here, stand, stand. We're going to be attacked by the devil and his armies while we're going about our business. And that's what's called the evil day. The evil day is when you're just loving your wife and loving your family and serving your church. And all of a sudden, what's going on? All this crazy stuff is going on in my life. And now my boss hates me. Now this is going on. Now that's hurting. What is going on? And you might think, man, I need to turn aside and fight the enemy. And God's like, wait, your armor is given to you so you can just stand. In that day, we will be punched. We will be pushed They will try to move us off our course, but we will be able to stand firm if we stand in the Lord. If we trust him, if we don't get distracted getting our eyes onto Satan, we're never supposed to get our eyes on Satan. We keep our eyes on Jesus. And he attacks us and he pushes us and he gets all in our face and it's all a distraction to what? To keep you from loving your wife and to keep you from loving your husband and to keep you from loving your boss and your coworkers and loving your church. That's the goal. That's what we got to keep our eyes on. Satan, every every sickness we get is a distraction. Everything we go through is a distraction to keep us from doing what we know we've been called to do. David Guzak affirms, we love an energetic church that advances the kingdom of God so vigorously that it shakes the councils of hell. 
but we don't let principalities and powers set our agenda. We do the Lord's work and stand against every hint of spiritual opposition. We just stand. We just stand. Man, you're going through a lot. You got a lot of stuff going on at home and at work. You better take it easy and not go to church today. Really? Because I think the Lord would actually have you at church. Would actually have you serving and loving and being loved and encouraged. Because the Lord says he works through church. Now, we'll love you at home too. And I'm not saying staying home is always a bad decision. I mean, if you're sick, you're sick. If you're tired, you're tired. But I just want us to understand that Satan is the one pushing us away. God is always drawing us in. Satan is the one causing you to be alone. God is the one who wants you together. That's how it works. So why do we need this? Why doesn't Jesus just kill Satan and his armies right now? Have you ever wondered that? Man, it would be nice if there was just this, because we know he could, right? We know Jesus could. So why is there any sort of battle at all? Well, here's a two-for-one Spurgeon quotes for you guys. Ready? Spurgeon says, number one, victory needs conflict as its preface. So in order for us to understand what victory is, what kind of victory Jesus has given, we need a conflict. Here's a second quote. As soon as you're washed in Christ's blood and clothed in his righteousness, you must begin to hew your way through the lane of enemies. Again, I picture Lord of the Rings and the dwarf guy. Anyway, right up to the eternal throne. Every foot of the way will be disputed and not an inch Satan will yield to you. So we are going to be in this battle, okay? But Jesus has something really amazing for us. Enigo Montoya, he said, you are wonderful. The man in black said, thank you. I've worked hard to become so. Enigo said, I admit it, you are better than I am. The man in black said, well, then why are you smiling? Because I know something you do not know. And what is that? I am not left-handed. And he switches to his right hand and they fight. <laughs> I love, love, love that scene. That's like the best scene in every, oh, it's just priceless, right? So why are you smiling then? Why am I smiling right now? Because I have something to share with you guys. We are not left-handed either. We are not left-handed. Jesus is so awesome. He's done something to tip the scales. He, he's given us a leg up. He's played a cruel trick on our enemy. Check it out. In Colossians 2.15, you got to see it. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles a couple pages to the right to Colossians 2.15. This is so, it, it's almost comical. In fact, I do laugh when I think about this. It's, it's wonderful. Colossians 2.15 says, In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. That was the New Living Translation. I'll read it in New King James just because that's what you guys all have. Uh, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So Colossians 2.15 tells us that Jesus disarms 
Satan and all of his armies, all the principalities, all the powers that they exercise over people, Jesus disarms them. That means Jesus took away the devil's power. So going back to our first verse and our first illustration of Satan being a lion, Jesus has kicked the teeth out of the lion. So Satan may be a roaring lion, but he's a toothless, pathetic roaring lion. There, there is no bite to his attacks. His only weapon is slobbering and gnawing and roaring. He, doesn't, he just doesn't want you to know about it. He's trying to gum you to death. So not only do you have this amazing, perfect, equipping armor of God to protect you from all his attacks, but you're now fighting an enemy that has no teeth. No ability to actually harm you when you're in Christ. No ability. It's like Crocodile Dundee. When that robber comes up to him with his little switchblade, he says, give me all your money. And Crocodile Dundee kind of looks at him, and then he pulls out his huge bush knife like this big, and he says, that's not a knife. That's a knife. And the guy runs away scared. It's a great scene. That's like us with Satan, with spiritual attacks. We have literally nothing to be afraid of. There's whole ministries that are like, are you ready for the spiritual attacks? And it's like these fear, like they, they'd want to get you like afraid or they want you to know that you have to like work out and be super strong to resist these attacks. That's not it at all. All you need to do is get your eyes on Jesus and you'll be able to stand. It'll be like he's punching you with marshmallows. Or he's throwing marshmallows at you like it's not going to be that bad. And you're like, but it's cancer, and but this guy hates me, and this guy's threatening to kill me. Trust me, it's just marshmallows. You could hashtag that, just marshmallows. It's going to be okay. When you keep your eyes on Jesus, there is no power in the devil's attacks. Guzak says again, therefore our victory is rooted in what Jesus did, not in what we do. It isn't that there is no doing on our part, but our doing is simply the appropriation and application of what Jesus did already. Satan has spiritual teeth. He does have teeth when we are guilty of sin. But Jesus removes all guilt of sin by his death on the cross. When we trust in Jesus' death on the cross, as our own substitute, we are totally freed from the guilt of sin because Jesus' blood cleanses us of sin, of all sin. And you guys know that. It's so simple, but that's the only thing that Satan has to attack us. That's the only thing that gives him teeth is guilt of sin. And so now what can Satan do except yell at you? And he can say, you're a sinner. And we respond, yep. Sure am. But look at the cross, because it's been paid for. Satan says, you're guilty. And we say, sure am. But because of Jesus, it's on him now. He took my guilt. He took it away. If you want to attack someone, attack Jesus and see, tell me how that goes for you. And Satan's like, dang it. He says, you can't change. 
He'll yell at in your ear, you must continue sinning. You have to do it. These cigarettes are your life. This addiction is, is all that you have. You've got to hang on to it and you can't stop. No, you have no ability to stop. And then we look at the resurrection and we see that same exact new life changing us from the inside and sin is no longer our boss. Sin is no longer in control of us. At the cross, Jesus broke the power of sin and the devil. Amen is right. We can all say amen to that. So all he can do is trick us to getting our eyes off of the cross, forgetting all that Jesus has bought for us. That is all that Satan can do. Either by trials or by success or by distractions, He's still trying to beat us. And I wonder sometimes if Satan and all his demons are actually amazed that it works sometimes. That he can actually get Christians to keep on sinning. Because it's so dumb. <laughs> we have been given complete victory. We have been given complete freedom. And we just need to stand in it keeping our eyes on the cross. And Satan has no power over us. He is so beat. He's so devastated by Jesus, yet people still let him win. And that's why when someone comes in for counseling and they're like, Satan's really got me and I, I'm just, I can't beat the devil. I love bringing a freedom into their life by saying, you're letting him win. You're just letting him win. And every area in my life that I continue to sin, it's because I'm letting him win. And it's not that I need to try harder to stop. It's that I need a new heart of trust in the Lord. Faith is the answer. Faith is the key. Faith does end sin in someone's life. It ends a life dominated by sin. And people are like, oh, you're so simplistic and you're just a Bible-thumping pastor and you just say faith is the answer to everything. Bring it. Yes, I do say that. Faith is what we need. And how do you grow in faith? You read your Bible. You read your Bible. And then it's like, I'm not left-handed anymore. I can win this fight with no problem. It's not even difficult. In the Greek Orthodox tr traditional church, the day after Easter was devoted to telling jokes. <laughs> I love it. They felt that they were imitating the cosmic joke that God pulled on Satan in the resurrection. Satan thought he had won. He, had a, he was smug in his victory, smiling to himself, having the last word, so he thought. Then God raised Jesus from the dead and life and salvation became the last words. And so in that whole area of the world, the day after Easter, they would just tell each other jokes. Tell each other jokes. I love that. I would have fit in so good in that church. Maybe we should have a joke day after, after Easter also. I think that'd be awesome. Well, listen, team. We are being attacked. We are being accused this guy, the devil, does not like you or me. And maybe you don't like being attacked. Maybe you get uncomfortable that Al-Qaeda doesn't even like you. 
Maybe you think if they just got to know you, they'd like you. But Satan, he hates you and he knows you and he hates you. So one side, on one side, people think Satan doesn't exist. And they're going to get beat because of that. On the other side, think he's more powerful than he actually is. And so they're going to let him win because of that. But the Bible teaches us that we need to know how to stand. Just stand. Satan hates you, but we must not fear him. We must stand. We must not slouch or fall. We must stand. We must not be half-hearted or depend on ourselves. We must stand on what he did. We must not doubt his word, but we must stand on it. We must not drift away, but stand in place with Jesus. We must never retreat, but stand firm. The victory has already been won. We just stand in it. Are you guys fighting? Do you have a fight going on in your life? Respond now in love. Forgive now. Love now. Realize your enemy is not the person you're fighting with. It is not your spouse. It is not your friend. It is not your boss or coworkers. It is Satan. And he wants you to stop loving. And he wants you to stop forgiving. That's what he wants. Are you struggling with sin or temptation? It has no power. It has no chains. It is fake. It is a facade. Just say, I trust in Jesus. I believe in what he did on the cross. I am forgiven, and your power has been given to me to be free of sin. That's the one-step program. Every time you feel that temptation to sin, say, nope, Jesus. Jesus. Don't try to fill your mind with something else. Don't go through all these steps of, okay, I'm tempted to sin, so I need to turn my back and go this way and think about that and do call this person. No. We have no spiritual, what are they called? Um, sponsors. We have Jesus. We just have Jesus. Our, my only thing I can tell you is look at Jesus and sin will, will not tempt you anymore. That's it. That's all. Look at Jesus. Just don't take your eyes off Jesus. Like Peter, he's the best example for us. He's walking on the water, and what happened? Distractions in the form of waves. Sin in the form of waves. An angry wife in the form of waves. And all those things were just enough to get his eyes off Jesus, and what happened? He sank. And then he called right out to Jesus, and Jesus had him by his hand, and he rescued him, and he saved him. That's what it's, where it's at, gang. Trusting in Jesus. Keeping your eyes on Jesus. There is no attack of hell that can trouble someone whose eyes are on Jesus, whose heart is set on the Lord. It is such a freeing place to be, but you know, it takes humility. You can't say, I got this one, God. Because Satan's then like, all right, let's get him. He starts gumming you to death again. We just keep our eyes on Jesus. That's it. You guys with me? All right, let's all stand up. And let's close our eyes. And with the eyes of our heart, let's set them upon Jesus. Jesus, you are exalted up into heaven right now. But you're coming back soon, Lord. And Lord, you've sent right now your Holy Spirit 
to empower us to break every chain, to be the power of your church. And God, we call upon that right now. We keep our eyes on you and you alone, never on ourselves, never on our own strength. God, we just look to you. God, I pray for those in here who are struggling with sickness, God, that you would bring healing. I pray for, for babies who are about to be born, that you would be with the doctors and they would be healthy, Jesus. I pray, Lord, for, for those who are facing cancer and incredible sadness, God, that you would, that it would not be a distraction of you, God. That all our eyes would be fixed on you. God, I pray so much for our anchor groups this week, Lord, that it would, it would truly just bless our people, God, that we would develop into a church that's so loving and kind, even more than we are, God. God, I pray we would be united. None of, not a single person would feel alone, but we would all know that we have our family. We would all know that we have everything that you uh, provide for us with this armor, God, and a lot of it being the church and our fellow believers. So God, we pray for our anchor groups, Lord. I pray you would make a way for us to be able to attend and for us to be able to um, be part of those. So Jesus, we give you our lives. We give you everything. And uh, if you're out there today and you have never given your life to Jesus and, and you've never fully surrendered and you've decided that today you feel the Lord calling you to a new place of surrender, I want to make that option available to you. I want to invite you. The Lord's so good and he's so wonderful and he's so, he, he provides everything that we need. And if it's your desire today to say, Jesus, I need you. I believe that you died on the cross for me. Then, then just pray this prayer. Lord, save me. Lord, I cannot save myself. I need you. I trust you. You are my only hope, Jesus. And I want to be freed from the sin that dwells in my heart. I want to be free. And I believe you are the only way that can happen. In Jesus' name, we all pray. Amen.